Bloody Elbow presents the Level Change Podcast, the combat sports variety show that brings you analysis, fight announcements, and insightful discussion of MMA's biggest headlines. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Steffi Haynes and Victor Rodriguez. Welcome back, and thank you for listening to episode 276 of the Level Change Podcast. I'm Steffi Haynes, and I'm joined, as always, by my amazing co-host, Victor Rodriguez. Today, we are going to take a quick look at a couple of headlines, and finally, after the long drought, we get to take a look at a few fights from UFC Vegas 84. Uh, First, we're going to see how my wonderful co-host here is doing today, because it's been a rough week for everyone at Bloody Elbow. I'm doing a little better. Um, we've, we've gone through the, if you haven't heard it already, the unfortunate loss of our good friend and, um, and, and genuine, uh, absolute gentleman, Derek Schott, whom, uh, unexpectedly passed away at the age of 39 over the course of the weekend. And, um, you know, man, it's, it's, it's really tough. You know, we, it, it's it's hard enough to deal with this as is when you're dealing with people that you work with. But then, you know, you have people that aren't just your work friends. They become more than that. They become your actual friends. And uh, I, I like to think of I like to think of Derek as that. And I remember him as such. And um, I'm I'm just I guess I, I, I know that there was a lot of things he wanted to achieve, a lot of things he wanted to do that unfortunately he won't. But um, we honor him and we we carry him with us in spirit and uh, largely just been focusing on the positive because, I, I you know, and, and this is something I've mentioned before. I can't speak for what he would want, but I'm pretty sure it wouldn't be us sobbing about it. I'm pretty sure mm. it would have to be us, you know, improving ourselves and and doing more and, and having some laughs because that's that's what he was big on. And boy, howdy, he was, he was, uh, was he ever big on laughs, you know? So, uh, I, I, I choose to smile. I choose to think of him that way. And it doesn't obviously, you know, the, the, the stress and, and the grief is going to be there regardless, but, um, but we, we have, we have the good times to think on and I don't think there's any greater gift. And, um, that's, that's really where I'm going to lie on it. That's, that's really what I, I'm, I'm actually smiling now thinking about it. So, uh, we try and we move on every day a little bit more. Well said. I'll leave it at that. Uh, first thing I want to talk about is we have an open thread up on Bloody Elbow and it's about Sean Strickland and should he get a pass for his bad behavior because of childhood trauma? Because that's sort of the vibe that I get from that Theo Vaughn interview that has since gone viral, where he breaks down in tears. He almost sobs. Uh, There's moments of uncomfortable silence and Theo Vaughn asking him, do you need a moment? Do you need a moment? And him saying, no, man, it's okay. And then, you know, sobbing a little more. And he has also sort of prefaced for a while his behavior by saying he's a piece of shit because of the trauma that his father inflicted upon him when he was little. And he sort of defaults to that for his bad behavior. So our question out there is, should he get a pass because of all this childhood trauma to basically run buck wild and do whatever the hell he wants? Because some of the things that he's doing have a lasting impact. Everyone out there is saying it's just words. But in this day and age, 
digital record is a thing. And once you say something on the internet, it's there to stick. So when Ian Gary's kid grows up and sees Sean Strickland calling his mother a sexual predator and insinuating that she's a pedophile, simply by virtue of being a little older than her husband, they met when they were adults, legal adults, well after he was 21, after he was 23. But Sean Strickland chooses to attribute that moniker to her that will forever be out there. So just words matter a little more than one might think. Victor, let's hear what you have to say on this. The one common strand here that everybody's picked up on is the fact that it looks hypocritical when you are making fun of Khalil Roundtree for crying at a press conference as he's offloading all of his grief and stress after and and as fighters, right? You'd expect that they would know what it's like when you have that adrenaline dump when the fight's over and now you're backstage and it's like you probably don't want to be there, man. You probably want to just go home. You probably want to relax. You want to just not have to deal with this shit anymore. You, you've, gunned, you, you've gunned through the hardest part. You're going to get emotional. You're going to go through this incredible roller coaster. You're not done after that final bell goes off. So he knows, right? He should have some level of empathy, yet he seems incapable of using it. It's, he, he's, it seems like he's demanding that that gesture be extended to him, but he won't do that for anyone else. He says, uh, he speaks about uh, Ian uh, Machado Gary, this whole situation with his wife and all this stuff. He's he's talking about other people's personal business, but then the moment somebody like Drakus says something about, I'm going to beat you worse than your dad ever did, well, I mean, let's be real. That's a bit crass. Uh, I think there is something personally. I mean, this is just me speaking for me. I'm just not representing anyone other than myself. That's a bit of a line you're crossing there, dude. You know, but I get it. it as Dana White says, it is the fight game. Guys will shit talk takes many forms. Yes, so fine. I I I, I don't necessarily condone that, but I'm not going to necessarily condemn it to a high degree. But the moment that that invective gets levied against Strickland, what does he do? He jumps the guy and then he admits that he bites him, which uh, just from a from a criminal, you know, just just from the perspective of should law enforcement be involved? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Maybe maybe not the smartest thing. This isn't Colby Covington we're talking about here. This isn't something where Drickus isn't going to fuck up his money. And go on and sue Strickland for what took place. It doesn't appear that that's going to happen. It seems like he's most likely going to bet on himself and take the fight and go with it that way. Uh, But I mention all of these things to bring up the same common thing. You have been you've rocketed yourself to the top of the MMA social media sphere by being this so-called truth teller, by calling everyone out, by saying all these things and speaking your mind and I don't give a fuck. You walk out with a shirt that says, cancel me. Then suddenly, now you start having these problems. Now you start showing these cracks. And I don't think that any of this has to do with the pressures of being a champion. Maybe in the sense of having a bit more of a spotlight on you, you know, yeah, obviously you're going to have more visibility. People will be... um, a little more talkative about you, but I think it has way more to do with the fact that he does not stop. You cannot put a microphone in front of this man and not have him say something that is incredibly crass or incorrigible or just something that feels like, is he doing this for attention? Does he really feel this way? No, this is truly him. But the unfortunate downside of that is that he's, he's kind of a glass cannon when it comes to the verbal shit. And that's ultimately the biggest concern. So, um, I, I worry about this man. I've, I've mentioned, I've expressed concerns regarding this before, right here on this very podcast, as far as this guy having the upbringing that he's had and, and not having this level of self-control that you would hope you would want in a guy. Uh, buddy, I, I don't know what that leads to. I, I'm uh, I'm hoping that he has something like a, a Mike Perry level renaissance where he finally cools down and maybe you know scales a lot of this stuff back. But it doesn't look too good, man. 
I, I have to disagree. I do think that he does a lot of it for attention. And the reason why, because you, you said you can't put a mic in front of this guy. You don't need a mic. When he first started this whole bullshit with Ian Gary, it was a sewing circle gossip type thing that happened. And nobody put a mic in his face. He gets in his car and he self-records videos. That's that, true. That is how he operates. And he does this in the guise of concern. Oh, my God. We have to save Ian Gary. He even hashtagged it. While he uh, insinuated that his wife was a piece of shit, he called her a succubus. He didn't even bother to investigate if there were facts backing up that whether uh, her ex-husband was living with them, which he's not. Well, who needs facts in this day and age, right? Exactly. Or that, you know, she they were both of legal age rather than going around and calling her a sexual predator, a pedophile. That's bullshit. You know, I absolutely think that he does these things for attention. And when the attention turns negative, like when it starts biting him in the ass, then we get these tearful interviews. Now, I am not going to suggest that Sean was um, untrue with his emotion there. I'm, I'm sure he was very truthful with, with uh, exposing emotion there. But I also feel like part of that emotion was spurred on by the fact that he was getting a lot of negative feedback for his treatment of other people. When yeah. you have someone like Laura Sanko, who never weighs in on anything heavy, saying that, hey, you're being a hypocrite. She didn't say it outright, but it was in her words, pretty much, when she said, let me see here, uh, let me read something to you. These were Laura Sanko's words. I watched his video with Theo Vaughn, and I commended Sean Strickland for it. I thought it was incredibly moving. I thought it was honest. I thought it was open. I think he will help a lot of people by being as vulnerable as he was, especially being known for a guy who you wouldn't think would do that. So on one hand, I'm giving Sean all the flowers in the world, but you can't in the same conversation say that attacking wives is off limits and then call this woman a pedophile, which she clearly is not. Okay. She's not a pedophile. So you literally just said you can't attack people's wives and you called his wife something horrendous and then did it more than once and did it where the whole internet is going to see that her kids are going to read it. So I applaud Ian for saying something to be honest with you. She's right. She's absolutely right. Uh, Ian Gary said um, basically that you're out here being a hypocrite. You can't go around saying this, but you get to do otherwise. Uh, mm -hmm. Drikas Duplessis said the same thing. I mean, everybody is calling Sean for what he is. He's a bully. And yeah, he's got a lot of childhood trauma. I firmly believe that he does. But I think that this facade that he's created for himself is simply to get attention on him. I mean, it might be that. Yeah, it, it might just be. I mean, it could be a combination of them in, to mm -hmm. a degree. Sure. I just, sure. I don't know, man. I, it just, it's just so, it, it's one thing when he was going after Jim West and, uh, you know, the whole Aspen Lad situation. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's, it's one thing to go there because it's like, I mean, you know, the, the optics didn't look great. You know, you, you got somebody that started in your gym as a teenager. And mm -hmm. look, I don't know where the truth lies on, on any of that here, but. Sean seemed to have been making some good points and he was confronted by Wes's result. But then, you know, uh, it, it, you move it and you try to paint that this situation with with Machado Gary with the same brush. That's not really applicable here, man. You can't really do that. And this again, he was also the one who started this whole movement, which is like, oh, she's a gold digger. She's after his money. Right. Which we've covered. We've discussed mm -hmm. that as well extensively. Buddy. This guy wasn't even in the UFC, and she has access to way richer and more famous guys. But whatever. Let's not again. Let's not let facts get in the way of things. Even if all of the things that he was so concerned about in that video, if she was a gold digger, if um, 
well, not all of the things, but maybe the the husbands still live with them or live with them at all. I don't even know that he lived with them ever, but I know he doesn't currently. But let's say that the those two things are are a fact. Ian and Gary is a grown man. He's twenty seven years old. He entered into that marriage with his eyes wide open, knowing exactly how old she was. They have been carrying on just fine. There has been no, it would be different if there were public rumblings, you know, they're having disputes in their social media or TMZ's picking them up, arguing all the time on video or anything like that. There were no warning flags whatsoever with those two. This is simply Sean grabbing a piece of information that he saw on Reddit or that somebody tweeted to him or whatever, and just running with it wildly like someone in a sewing circle. He talks always about real man shit, real man this, man dance that, blah, (laughs) blah, blah. But you know what real men don't do? They don't get in other men's business that they don't even know. It's not like Sean Strickland and Ian Gary are friends or buddies where Sean is, you know, really concerned about his friend that he thinks is being taken advantage of. This is a guy that had just selected another one based off some gossip he heard and decided he was going to give him his brand of attention and help. That's not help. That's not concern. That is you trying to replicate whatever you thought was success based off of your attack on um, Aspen Ladd's coach slash boyfriend. Okay, there was reason to say something there because there were rumblings all through the community that he had groomed her. Yes, there was absolutely a reason to call that guy out. But with Ian Gary and his wife, there is no reason whatsoever because there was nothing shady going on. It was not your business. You should stay out of other grown folks' business if you don't have anything to do with it period yeah you you should you should face some kind of i think there should be some kind of legal penalty where you come out i'm i'm on real man shit and then you being the cattiest motherfucker in shangri-la Thank i you. just i just don't i don't you know maybe i don't know man go build a shed or something get the fuck just do something else bro god damn buy yourself a playstation like i did we don't need this Nobody needs this. The thing with Drikus and him having the scrap in the audience. What you know what the problem was there? Bruna Burns was sitting there listening to Drikus shout obscenities at Sean. And Sean was like, oh my God, Bruna's gonna tell Gilbert and then it's gonna get around that I let this happen. That's what I honestly think in my brain happened. Wow. And then, you know, the cameras are all on them and they can they keep panning on the two of them. They keep panning on Drikas behind him shouting stuff and cackling and giggling with his buddies and everything. And Sean just could not stand it anymore. And I didn't see a bunch of buddies with Sean. I didn't see him engaging with anybody over there. I just saw him say something briefly to Bruna. I saw her hastily get her and the kid out of the way and Sean leap over the chairs. But I honestly think that in his brain, he felt like he was being emasculated in those moments. So that's why he did that. Same thing where he films himself picking fights with just randos on the street, on the highway, etc. It's all for attention. It's why he po- he films himself and then uploads them himself. It's attention. Otherwise, other people would be uploading that stuff. But no, it's Sean doing it himself and drawing attention to it himself. Hey, everybody, look what I just did. It ain't good, man. It ain't good. And you got to wonder, I mean, is he going to find someone crazier than him at some point? That'll do something really. I I hope not. But I'm just saying crazy motherfuckers are out there, man. Uh, You don't at some point you don't want that smoke. That's right. So we do have some wonderful news that we should mention, and that is 
Francis Ngannou got another hefty-ass bag. Victor, how happy are you for, for Big Francie? Wait, that's what... No, what, that's not what I understood. What did you understand? Did he fumble it? Uh, Dana White told me <laughs> that Francis fumbled the bag. <laughs> it was confirmed by one David Feldman. It was further corroborated by one Chatri Sidyotong. Huh. Damn. I can't, I'm trying to remember who it was that said it. Shit. And I, I wanted to credit him so bad. Um, was it Shaquille Majuri? I can't remember right now. Somebody said that if Francis is fumbling the bag, it's because he's carrying too many of them at once. <laughs> yeah. John Nash said that Francis needed one giant bag to put all the other bags in. Mm, mm, mm. Now, here's the news. Uh, His Royal Highness Turkey Alal Sheikh announced that Francis would be facing Anthony Joshua. The tentative date is March the 8th. And it will be going down in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Uh, no other mention of other fights on the card, but I mean, who cares? We have the 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 gem of all gems right here. Now, I talked to John Nash. We ha had an episode come out today. And John estimates that his last purse was just north of 10 million just the purse we're not talking about any cuts of pay-per-view any cuts of concessions that he might have worked out um any sponsors and uh, sponsorship deals whatever um but when all of that is figured in John figures that it's a, a you know north of, right around 20 million maybe north of 20 million we may be looking at a lot more, possibly double, what he made the first time. <laughs> so here we are with Francis Ngannou possibly going to make the Forbes list this year. And if we were to just isolate this one fight with Joshua, and let's say that Conor McGregor actually makes it to a fight during International Fight Week, and it happens to be Chandler... If that were his only fight this year and Francis's only fight is this Anthony Joshua one, there's a very good chance that Francis will out-earn Conor McGregor based on purse alone. Mm. Okay. I, I don't <laughs> oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Let's carve <laughs> this, let's carve this turkey on the odd end first, right? Conor McGregor. Does he fight this year at all? I don't I have don't any hope for it. Let's let's say he does though. Let's say he does. I don't really know how much of that is really going to be a massive, massive factor because you have to look at the fact that Connor has been a guy that, for better or for worse, has also diversified his portfolio. In the wise words of the RZA, you got to diversify your bonds. And that's what he's done. He's, mm -hmm. he's, he's got his fingers in multiple pies. He's gotten on to other business interests that generate far more revenue than fighting probably does. I mean, I'd imagine over time that's going to be the case. I don't know if that is currently his financial situation or not. Let's assume that it's not and that these seeds that he's planting will bear fruit in the future, multiplying his riches. Fine. Francis, he's still going to outdo that because you got to remember something. And this is where I get mad at like the whole chill son and reaction, which I don't know if we addressed last time we talked about um, or any of the times that we talked about the fallout from the uh, from the Tyson Fury fight. Here comes Chill Sonnen. They didn't sell any pay-per-view. It didn't succeed. This was a flop. Buddy, I don't care about pay-per-view points, and neither should Francis. No one's caring about ticket sales because it's happening in Saudi. No one's traveling to this because of the – maybe. You're going to have a few rich people doing it. They're not worried about it being a sellout. They're not worried about this being a exactly. massive pay-per-view success. They're getting paid not by the business models that you and your bum-ass interests are used to. Mm -hmm. This is an entirely different playing field. They, are, they might as well be doing something completely different overall. And by that I mean you're not getting money based on the revenue that you generate from the fight, but rather from what your benefactors are paying you because they have more money than multiple fucking gods. Give me a pantheon. These guys are richer. And that, that is the main underlying current 
for all of this to happen. That is why all of these things are taking place in the fashion and in the manner that they're happening, in the order in which they're happening. They love Francis. Why not? As we mentioned when we had Kareem on a few weeks ago, right? Mm-hmm. They they have they have the the agreement with PFL. Right. They're already plugging a bunch of money into that for them to develop the North Africa and Middle Eastern divisions, which Francis will be partially uh, responsible for overseeing. Primarily, he'll be dealing with uh, with Africa, uh, especially sub-Saharan Africa, to be to to be uh, more precise. So you already have that connection. Hey, you know what, PFL? Why don't we now that we've given you this money, borrow this guy? We'll pay him out of our own pocket. Don't worry. You don't have. Hey, Don Davis, you can save yourself this. You can buy your kids that PlayStation 5 for Christmas just like Victor did. Don't worry. We're going to take care of this guy. We got your dude right here. Now we're going to fatten up his paycheck. And that's exactly what they've done because it doesn't matter. They're not worried about pay-per-view points. You notice You notice something. Dana, okay, Chael Sonnen talking all that shit. You know who hasn't said that? Dana White. He's not touching that. Has anyone asked him about the logistics or the money or anything like that? I bet he won't fucking say anything. I bet he fucking won't. You know why? Because he knows exactly the things that I'm saying now, and he knows them to be true because it is plain as day. You don't have to be a genius to figure out. You know how I know? Because I figured it out. It's not some mystical code that you need to crack. These guys are sports washing. They are bolstering their portfolios. They are increasing their image throughout the world. And even as Kareem said, right, the new Mecca for combat sports might actually be down the street from the actual Mecca. So if you really, <laughs> if you really want to literally put it in that distinction, then yes, absolutely. This is what these guys are doing and this is why they're doing it. And Francis and Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua and Eddie Hearn and John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt, they are all pawns in this entire scheme. And that's, I suppose, fine from a moral standpoint i don't have to love it but it's fine everybody's getting paid there's no other alternative there is no other escape and we're all getting as fans what we want is there a moral conflict you best fucking believe there is i remember you steffi Mm -hmm. uh, explicitly stating that you have a bit of a concern with that because you know there is an ick factor Mm mm-hmm we all know the machinations and this is a result of us and i i largely think uh, that us as people that work in, you know, quote unquote MMA media, right? A lot of the luster and a lot of the appeal, a lot of the love that you lose for this game is from being able to see the strings and from being so entwined with what happens behind the scenes to a degree that you see how grotesque all this comes from. When we have literal blood and oil money financing and bankrolling all this, this, this massive spectacle, it eclipses the need for you to generate revenue because the revenue is already there, baby. It ain't about you selling tickets. It ain't about you. Go ahead. Let me ask you a question. You live in San Antonio. Go ahead. Catch an Uber and go to Saudi. How's that going to work? (laughs) This is not, this ain't for, the point I'm trying to make, this is not for the average fan. This is not for the common man. No, this is for the celebrities and the other magnates and the other businessmen. This is for them. And you as a consumer at home, sure. Yeah, that's a different story. They're not worried about that stuff, and they don't have to be. And at least the somewhat silver lining that we can have, number one, we get the fights that we want to see. Number two, the spectacle and the fun that comes with it. So that's the compromise, baby. That's life. This is the world that we live in, for better or for worse. And frankly, I, I just, I, I still, as as morally conflicted as I am about the, the building blocks of this entire thing and the foundation that has been built on, You got to be happy for Francis. Again, thumbing the eye of every doubter on earth and laughing his way to the bank. He continues to prove that he won that fight against Tyson Fury, not because of the scorecards, but because of what his image was able to do. He doesn't get this fight against Joshua if he doesn't perform as well as he did against Fury. Fuck a loss. That man, in the eyes of the public, in the eyes of the world, that man won. And he's shining. And he's showing it now. And he earned it. Good for him. Well, we don't have to worry so much about uh, Saudi becoming the mecca of of combat sports for for one reason, and that is because the almighty live gate matters. A lot of money, especially in boxing, is made off gates. And so they can't have everything happen in Saudi Arabia because the gates would suffer. And so what... Nash has posited is that they basically want to control one aspect of boxing, and that is the heavyweight division. 
And if we look at this, this third card in Riyadh is going to be heavyweights again. It's going to be focused on the heavyweights. The very first one was Fury and Ganu, and that was a spectacle. Remember, they taught, they they harped and harped and harped on how amazing the stage the rotating stage was with all the laser displays and the led displays and the light spectacular show and they were harping on how that it had been put together in under 60 days we all know how that happened (laughs) you know it doesn't need to be said we all know that basically um a lot of backs were broken to to make that happen Mm-hmm. We'll just say that. But what they want to control, though, is the heavyweight division, and they're doing a great job. And if only the heavyweight fights end up over there, I'll be okay with that. Uh, because those heavyweights, right now, you know, our heavyweight is there. And I want I want to see Francis succeed. And you know what is really awesome about Francis is he didn't forget the people that helped him along the mm-hmm. way. To see him, well, to see Eric Nixick, his one of his coaches, talk about how uh, Francis gave him life changing money. He said he cried when he looked in his bank account. After Francis paid him, he said he cried that he wasn't even expecting as much as Francis gave him, that Francis gave him more than they agreed on. I mean, come on. That's beautiful. It is. And you know what? I mean, I was a little saddened by that in a way because I'm like, well, Eric Nixick isn't a spring chicken. He's not new to this game. Right. What is he usually making with these Right. Guys? But and- again, it goes to it goes to to uh, speak on exactly what the pay is like inside yes. MMA. Because yeah. for someone like Eric Nixick, who is a decorated trainer, he was trainer of the year last year. I don't know who won it this year because I haven't paid attention to those those awards. But I mean, come on. This guy has been around for a while and he's been putting in that work, that good work too, that work that shows on paper. Mm-hmm. And he's just now making that that life altering payday. That is, you know what the other cool thing was about it? It's Eric Nixon said it himself. He wasn't even the primary trainer. Exactly. <laughs> Dewey Cooper probably rolling up in a Lambo with a tiger in the back. <laughs> <laughs> right? He is he is literally reenacting that scene from Saints Row Three. He's, he's just like, <laughs> wow, fucking Last smoking from the past, right? smoking the big black blunt of death as thick as my calf, high as fuck <laughs> on Rodeo Drive. That brother don't give a fuck about nothing. I love it. Good for him. So, anyways. That's pretty much the big news of the week. Now, we have two other segments that we need to get to. I forgot to mention at the beginning, we have the return of Tim Bissell. We're going to be sumo stomping with Tim Bissell later on in the episode here today. Uh, That's going to be in our bonus section. And we have, as we mentioned last week, a whole slew of new characters to look out for. Um, Victor, I didn't get to tell you about Double, double Boob, or a, a.k.a. as I like to call him, Double D. Double Boob. Well, I don't know, man. I mean, I do like Imagine a boob on top of a boob. On top of a boob? Okay, It's, see, it's literally seen... a double boob. Hmm. Um, yeah, and they, 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 Tim told me it is his armor of fat, that there's a bunch of muscle under him, but that's his armor of fat. Anyways... Just if you could picture a a pair of boobs on top of another pair of boobs. <laughs> I mean, I've seen boob. the three titties from Total Recall. I, I don't know about stacking them, though. This is like when, mm-hmm. you know, when they the, the Michael Jordan McDonald's triple cheeseburger. Like, do I want three patties? Do I? Well, is this is this, this not the kind of excess that, that you, you it takes away from the flavor? I don't know. It does. Know. It does. When you see it's it's kind of like a two scoop ice cone, ice cream cone turned upside down that has begun to melt. Both mm. scoops. You know, most of the time when you turn turn one of those upside down, the bottom one melts first. Imagine if the top one is melting at the same rate as the bottom one. 
Mm. So we also have Pink Boy or the Peach Prince, as they also call him. I'm I'm a big fan of Ura. He has amazing footwork. I will show you um, a video clip. And you know what? For our listeners, I'll actually include a little clip in the write-up for this show. So you guys can see this guy's footwork is incredible. And the clip that I'm going to leave, even though it's 13 minutes long, the first couple of seconds is of the Peach Prince, a.k.a. Pink Boy. And it has that fantastic footwork right there in the first, like, 30 seconds. So you cannot miss this. Just watch his feet. And remember that his feet cannot leave the little rock circle. So just keep that in mind. Yeah, we're giving you everything. We're getting you titties, feet, all the fetishes. We're covering everything oh, right but here. Wait. Peaches. I've got another one. There's another guy that they call the cocaine bear because he's oh. super hairy. <laughs> okay. So, but can can I just state, if you haven't seen that movie, good God, it was so fucking good. Oh. Ray Liotta, rest in peace. Jesus Christ, that movie was great. <laughs> oh, man. I have not. I don't know if I want to watch it because I know what happens, unfortunately, to the bear in the end. So, yeah. Uh, you should still see it. Maybe we'll check that. We'll, we'll see. There's a lot. There's a lot of twists before you get to that. So, yeah. <laughs> so anyways, as we mentioned, though, we do have a fight card this weekend. But of course, after this long drought, you know what they did? They put us back in the fucking apex and they gave us a not great card. OK, a not great card. And. Victor, we have returned to um, the fact that there might be a couple of names here that I do not know. For instance, do you know who Weston Wilson is? Man, don't do this shit to me, man. Do you know who Tom Nolan is? And he didn't, didn't he get arrested for, like, stealing Lady Godiva chocolates or some shit? I don't know. Is he Christopher Nolan's little brother? I don't fucking know. I don't know what he does. Do you know who Gene Silva or John Silva is? I don't. Do you? Any of the guy who got caught sniffing panties? Could be. Mm. But my I, point I hope so. here. Oh, my point here is that who is this? Oh, I know who that is. Okay, never mind. Ah, Gaston Bolaños is fighting. Oh, AKA yeah, no, the former boyfriend of Demi Lovato. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. She loves fighters. That's pretty cool. She does. She sure does. So, anyways, I managed to wrangle four fights. That we could break down. But if you want to know how bad this card is, let me let me give you a little taste of the star power. 44 fucking year old Andre Arlovsky is fighting Waldo Cortez Acosta. You know, there's hope for all of us. I love Andre, but there's no way I'm going to go against my guy. Come on now. There's a very good statistical likelihood that I might be related to Waldo in some capacity. I can't, you know, like, <laughs> listen, if not, he's probably related to my ex. And well, he is from the southern region. So, God damn, this sure got a lot less funny now that I thought about it out loud. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, and we also have a guy. Hang on. Are you ready for this one? Felipe Bunez. Don't know him either. Okay. So, yeah. I guess we do. I guess we have another guy. Yeah. So here we are with a card that looks like that after a month long drought. UFC, y'all ain't shit. Oh my God. What? Yeah. You know, you know what, man? You know what? Some people take a little longer to get back into the groove of things after the holidays. And I just want to wonder what's going on with Mick Maynard. I want to know where he's at right now. With his bitch ass. I wonder what, what, where did this man, did he, is he back from Cabo? Where, where, did he, where is he? Where's Sean How's Shelby? This what is this card? What is this? You can't, you can't see. This is the thing. This is the thing. There's two problems with this. All right. You can't sit there and tell me that the UFC is the only organization where the best fight the best. And then they give you this. Like, let's, let's be honest. I, you're not, everything is going to be a banger. Not every fight is going to have that level of star power. I've made peace with that fact, but they haven't. And so you don't get to sell me on this bullshit and tell me that this is a premier event when it's clearly not. A lot of these fights are regional at best, and that's fine. Just say it. Just admit it. Be upfront about it. And I wouldn't really mind. I wouldn't have a problem with it. But then on top of that, they make you sit for eight hours while they lard this thing with ads mm -hmm. and more promo and they don't get their hands out of your fucking pocket. Good Christ. It never ends. So that those are the two main compounding factors for me. But am I going to watch it? 
Of course, I'm going to watch it. I follow this shit. I live this shit. Why not? You never know who's going to come up because this is, as I always say, a sausage making card. But man, that it, it that that process of making the sausage, it, it feels like it takes a lot longer every time. For sure. So we have picked the top four fights because those are pretty much the ones that we want to see. You know, I, I like Matt Simmelsberger, but pairing him up with Preston Parsons seems like a lateral move, in my opinion. Either move mm. him up or sit him out or something. But these lateral moves is what gets me. And every time we have an apex card, I feel like we see a lot of lateral movement rather than vertical movement, you know? Yeah. But it's, again, it's the keep busy, stay busy type mm -hmm. stuff. You know what I mean? And it's Hate also it. contractual obligations. You know, they want to make it. sure that they, they fill in these slots. But it seems like they, they, they come in gluts rather than being yeah. spread out. We get these gluts of like four, five, sometimes six fights where there's no movement uh, at all. There's no possibility for movement other than straight across the board. That sucks. I'm sorry, but UFC, you got to do better. Anyways, we have picked the top four fights. We'll start from the bottom, and we will get Mookie's picks here. Uh, hang on. We might have them already. We do. All right. So we'll start with uh, Mario Bautista versus Ricky Simone. Victor, take it away. I'm going to go with Ricky Simone. So Next question. So am I, but Mookie is going with Bautista. That's now, not a bad pick, but I'm, I just it's don't. It's not, but I want to I wanna go through this really fast, if you don't mind. No, sure. Okay, Bautista is on a five-fight win streak, but his... For my for my money, I'm gonna say his best win is Brian Kelleher. Okay, but the rest of the the people in here are Jay Perrin, Benito Lopez, Guido Canetti, and Damon Blackshear. Okay, I'm gonna say Brian Kelleher followed immediately by Damon Blackshear would be his best wins. But mm. what I cannot get past is that Trevin Jones beat him trevin jones the same guy that let cody garbrandt basically inch his way to a boring long drawn out decision trevin jones let that i mean that cody garbrandt was coming off that insane flyweight debut where he just got demolished in like two minutes of the fight okay that cody garbrandt Returning from that fight is the one that beat Trevin Jones, who Mario Bautista lost to. Now, let's take a look at Ricky Simone for a moment. And I know MMA math, but I'm applying it here because Ricky Simone, he sure, he lost his last fight to Song Yadong in 70 seconds of round five. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that, that he went the whole distance almost with Song Yadong. That's 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 a feat in itself. But before that, he beat Jack Shore. He beat Rafael Asuncao. Yes, way past his prime, but Jack Shore is a good win. He beat Brian Kelleher. He beat uh Gaetano Perello. Uh, not so much Ray Borg. He's got a win over Ray Borg. Got a win over Ronnie Yaya. That's hard mm -hmm. to do, believe it or not. And he it got it a while ago, back in 2019. So I'm looking at Ricky Simone, and listen, you want to know who he's got a win over? Merob Devalishvili. Mm, that's true. So when I see Mookie's pick, I, I think to myself, man, are you really giving up on Ricky Simone that easily? Because I'm not. I, no, not yet. Yeah. So, all right. Victor and I are taking Ricky Simone. Mookie is taking Mario Bautista. Let's get to the next fight here, which is Jim Miller versus Gabriel Benitez. Victor. Hmm. I'm taking uh, Jim Miller. Do you want me to? Yeah. Let me, let me give you a little backstory on these guys, okay? Gabriel Benitez is coming off a single win over Charlie on Taveros. He lost two before that to Billy Quarantillo. No shame there. But he also mm. lost to David Onama, 
Yeah, David Onama is. Yeah. Well, Onama is still. He's a work in progress. Yeah, but he's he seems to not be able to figure out what he's doing from moment to moment in the fights. He's like a mess quite often. So it takes him a while to really get on track. Really? Yeah. Yes, it does. And then he has a win over Justin James. Okay. We cannot write home about that win. We cannot. Okay. That's not going to carry him over into the, the next phase of his career. Nobody's going to look back on that win and say, well, that one held water. No, it's not. Umberto Bandene. And Jason Knight, way back in 2017 and 2018, listen, Benitez ain't going to get this win over Jim Miller. I'm sorry. Jim Miller, let's take a look at him. He is coming off a win over Jesse Butler. He lost to Alexander Hernandez, but he had racked up wins over Donald Cerrone and Nicholas Mata and Eric Gonzalez before that. It's like... You get to run the gauntlet when you first get in the UFC. You got to run through Jim Miller. And Jim Miller's still holding it down even at 39. Is he 39 now? 40. Oh, my God. He is now 40. Jesus. Yeah. And and gentle reminder, Jim Miller is my birthday twin. We are both <laughs> born on the same day. Maybe not the same year, but the same day. You know, what if you had a lightweight Arlovsky, but that guy still finished fights and was beating the fuck out of young prospects? Yeah, that would be Jim Miller. Yeah. So, who are you picking? I'm going with Jim Miller. Absolutely. All three of us are. It's the it's the smart choice. It's the only choice. Now we get to Mateus Nicolau versus Manel Kopp. That's an interesting fight. Now, Mookie is taking Manel Kopp, but I am not. I hmm. am taking Mateo's nickel out. When I went and looked at the math on this one, and I'll, I'll give this to you before you make your choice. Mateo's nickel out lost his last fight, but it was against Brandon, excuse me, Brandon Royval, who just fought for the belt. Yeah. Before that, though, he beat Matt Schnell, David Dvoriak, Tim Elliott, and Manel Kopp. So we get to Manel Kopp and we have, he beat Felipe Dos Santos, David Dvoriak, Zolga Sumagilov, and Ode Osborne. But he lost, to, obviously, the split decision to Mateus Nicolau and he lost to Alessandra Pantoge. And then earlier in his career, he has losses to Kaya Sakura, uh, Uka Sasaki, and Kyoji Horiguchi, and way back in his career to Suk Kampasath. So, I look at this. I know Manel Kopp has looked like a world beater lately, but I have to look at who he's world beating right now. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know, man. I still I still believe in Manel Cop and his upside. I mean, I don't think there's too much more improvement for him right now. I think he's probably reached the peak of his development. If not, he's close to it. But he's still pretty damn good. I just it took him a while to really find his footing when he got to the UFC. And this is um I I I don't think that this is any exception. I think this is a test that he'll be able to clear. Not me. I'm going to stick with my pick on uh, Mateus Nicolau. Mookie and Victor are going to take Manel Cop. So that's going to bring us to the main event. This fight has been booked, I want to say, like two times previous to this. And we're finally getting here to it. And that is Johnny Walker versus Magomed Ankalaev. I mean... To me, this is a no-brainer that Ankalaev is just going to curb stomp Johnny Walker. So I, I'm taking Ankalaev. Bing, bang, boom. Mookie is also taking Ankalaev. And I'm pretty uh, sure Victor is too. I will. You know, Johnny Walker, it, it's taken him a long time to be the much more organized and calculated fighter that he is now, which is not a bad thing. It's less exciting, but it's still getting him wins. Problem is, Uncle I have been that dude for a while, and he's packing some dynamite. Johnny got a chin, a very hittable chin. So I hope they've been working on their defense. I don't know what else is going to be to his advantage here. I, I don't know what to trust out of Johnny Walker in this. He's just been so um, 
it's it's so hard to think yeah he's he's going to do great because he's got this in his back pocket i don't know man i i can't trust him yeah he's a very untrustable kind of dude in that regard i i just why sbg why 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 (laughs) probably i mean his he's been living in the uk he was living in the uk for a long time and his wife is probably from there he probably doesn't want to be too far from all that so it's probably what's going on there but i mean london shoe fighters ain't that far bro right there's other gyms (laughs) team rayano ain't that i I don't know there's other gyms he could have gone to but this was high profile enough he probably likes the vibe he probably has a good atmosphere and he's been notching wins so i get it i don't like it but i get it i would but i agree with you it would have been cool to see him at maybe all-stars if it wasn't too crowded for you know light heavyweights in the ufc or i don't know any other gym in europe maybe go to germany go to ufd i don't know or, you know, you could uproot the family and come on over to the U.S. and pick any of the gyms that actually oh have a lot of light heavyweight bodies in them. I mean, look at Extreme Couture. They're, they're almost exclusively a big boy gym these days. Eric no, Nixon is working with a lot of big boys. You can go travel just slightly west. Glendale Fight Club. There you go. Oh, hey, there you go. Get training See? with the best striking coach ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyways yeah we're all going magomed Ankalaev, so that is gonna wrap up our picks and it's gonna wrap up the free section of the show please stick around for sumo stomping with tim bissell we got a wonderful 30 minute uh bonus section for you guys nice and beefy nice and juicy talking about peach boy or peach prince talking about the cocaine bear and double d double boob so anyways y'all know the drill from here subscribe follow us on our social media which i have mentioned at the very end of the show and uh, stick around we'll be right back to access the bonus content of this show you must be a paid subscriber to do that go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us. <laughs>